0: What's up? Welcome back to Burgundy Blogcast. This is Brent from Burgundy Blog. It is Saturday, the 16th of May. We are now um, about three weeks out from the draft. And there have been um, actually a few Redskins-related topics in the news since that time. So I thought I would check in with a quickie here just to add a few thoughts to the discussion. I'm going to try to touch on Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Cam Newton, the Redskins running back room, the schedule, Urban Meyer, Quentin Dunbar and Cody Latimer. So Project 11 came out on ESPN and uh, I'm guessing 98% of you have seen it and it was riveting and it was very well done. I was very impressed with the vulnerability and openness um, on the part of Alex Smith and his whole family. In sharing the full details of his recovery from the broken leg and then septic shock and then just an insane number of procedures and rehab demands to eliminate the infection and regain function he obviously went through a lot a whole lot um, he lost a lot in terms of time energy effort security and peace of mind i'd say strength and stability in his legs really both legs because he had to have muscle from the other leg grafted out and back into the injured one one of my main takeaways from watching and then thinking about project 11 was that i think that we as fans should never take for granted the risk assumed by any player at any position in simply entering an nfl po- uh, football game and playing even one play it is a savage brutal super dangerous sport and yes i mean technically any one of us could you know get hit by a bus a few seconds after walking out your front door any morning so yeah there are risks for all of us in everyday life but obviously in a much deeper, weightier sense, participating in an NFL football game is incredibly hazardous to your health and well-being. Any one of these players could theoretically die on the field in front of the cameras. And even if that's not like highly likely, and even as they try to legislate as much of the, of the risk and danger out of the game as they can by rule changes every year, these guys can also seriously die from complications of pretty standard injuries. Not that Alex Smith's injury was standard, but I mean, the surgeries and surgical recovery periods that these players endure after orthopedic injuries on a football field, are also potentially life-altering, life-shortening, or life-ending. So I think we as fans should probably realize that and think about that a little more. And uh, more directly, I think we should think about it more when evaluating the player's union or any individual player who exerts whatever power or leverage is within its or his grasp to secure the maximum achievable financial compensation for said risk. I have felt this way for some time. And I only feel this way even more deeply or with more conviction since watching the documentary that a player's holdout, for example, to maximize his return is not something I will generally begrudge. I think these guys in general should be trying to get every single last dollar that they can while they can because their job is outrageously hazardous. Lastly, I will add uh, in the interest of keeping it real, I feel that as hard as he has worked to get back to where he is now, as impressive as has been his commitment and dedication and refusal to give up, as much as I admire Alex Smith's strengths and toughness, I definitely feel that there is not a realistic chance that he can ever take an NFL football field again in, in a meaningful way. Scratch that. He, he might enter a field in a meaningful way, but not in a game, not in real play, not in real time, in jeopardy of further destruction. I don't see it happening. I'm not trying to act like I'm going way out on a limb here. That's definitely the consensus, but to me it seems impossible. His leg, first of, first of all, is clearly not right and will never be normal. I do not believe he can regain a normal and fully effective running gait to the extent necessary to play at the highest level. And no, I don't believe that any of the little clips we've seen of him doing drills or running with his kids have demonstrated anything close to a normal or his pre-injury running gait. I highly doubt any kind of doctor would ultimately feel comfortable clearing him for return to NFL action. And although you could certainly argue that he... Is in the process of earning the right to get back out there i also highly doubt that an nfl head coach could bring himself to put alex smith in the position of potentially losing again everything he has recently worked so hard to gain back so i'll definitely be continuing to operate on burgundy blog under the assumption that alex smith's nfl playing career is over that said i think that he will continue to be a tremendous asset to any employer I think the Redskins should try to be his employer for as long as he is willing. If they can keep him in that front office in any capacity, it's a no-brainer because he embodies, uh, he embodies what every team should want in its culture. Intelligence, hard work, mental and physical toughness, and character in every sense. So while I do not think that Alex Smith will ever pl- uh, play for the Redskins again, or any other NFL team, I do hope he'll be affiliated with the Redskins for a long time. <music> Dwayne Haskins, uh, I guess, penned an article for Redskins.com with the help of um, one of their regular writers with the subtitle, uh, I think, In His Own Words. And uh, this also is something that I assume all of you have consumed by now. And I think the article or blog post or journal entry or whatever exactly it was, or we're supposed to call it, was very well received in general by fans and by the media, and I think rightfully so. Mainly on here, I just want to echo that sentiment that um, it was um, it was a good move for them to encourage him to write that and uh, for him to include in it the things that he did. I thought in that article, he came off as confident, which you want, yet also um, humbled appropriately by the challenges he faced and the mistakes he made in his rookie season. I thought he expressed in that article sufficient accountability for his own failures and successes. And overall, it was a positive step, if not a major step, but a positive step in what we all, of course, hope will be a rapid and marked maturation process on his way to becoming a badass starting NFL quarterback. I think I'm viewed by listeners and by Twitter followers as somewhat or relatively anti-Haskins. And although I kind of understand why, um, I don't really want to be. I don't exactly feel that way. First of all, because I definitely recognize and have always expressed acknowledgement of the fact that the best thing for the Redskins in their efforts to become a winner, and therefore the best thing for fans in their hopes of the Redskins becoming a winner, would be for Haskins to be good. And therefore I want Haskins to be good. I want him to be really good as soon as possible. There's never been a time that I was rooting for him to suck. No matter what, I may have predicted in a particular game or month or whatever. Even as I've been a little skeptical of him, I've never wanted be right about that more than i wanted for him to be good i would solve a major problem for the redskins the biggest problem that any football team can have quarterback quarterback situation for that matter i said on twitter the very night they drafted him that they did a good a good thing a good job in in, uh in, in making him uh the 15th overall pick i wasn't doing cartwheels and frankly i thought that the montez sweat pick was actually even better but at that time i was at worst neutral and um at best hopeful if i've been turned off by anything about haskins in this period of now only a year that he's been a redskin it really hasn't been his play even his early penchant for turnovers or inaccuracy or questionable decision making yes he did improve on many of those things in his last couple of games and that's great but even if he hadn't i mean bad numbers as a rookie wouldn't wouldn't really have caused me to write him off what i've objected to i think about haskins much more is what i perceive to be his attitude um, his body language his work ethic and uh, desire to be truly great, at least as described by several coaches, many other people in the media familiar with how his year went, Uh, the, the things I've seen him talking and tweeting and Instagramming and YouTubing about, which to me at times have painted the picture of someone possibly a little bit more concerned with looking cool and or being popular than doing the things necessary to evolve into an excellent quarterback. But in the last few months, He's been painted in a much more positive light um, by the new Redskins coaching staff. I'll give him some credit for the way he's publicly handled the uh, trade for Kyle Allen. He does seem to have transformed his body in a good way in in recent months. And again, I like the things that he wrote or said um, in this in his own words piece on the team website. So I hope you all will notice, those of you who think I'm just a hater, that uh, I'm giving him some credit here and I'm trying to be very objective about him. I hope he has a great year. I hope he just takes off and blows up as a sophomore quarterback. I do still have some doubts that uh, the makeup is there for him to become a really high-level leader and player at that position, but I'm wide open to it, and the indicators uh, more recently are more good than bad. Real quick thing on Cam Newton here, because Rivera was asked about him in an interview, I guess a week or two ago now. I think it was on Good Morning Football. To be honest, he did a lot of them around that time and they're running together a little bit. But I know for sure that in that interview, he was asked basically, yes, I think it was Good Morning Football because I'm pretty sure it was Nate Burleson who asked him if he would consider bringing Cam in. And basically Rivera said um, a few things that were mildly um, complimentary of Cam. We know, of course, that Rivera loves Cam. But he, he was pretty neutral um, in a few brief comments about Cam and then basically said, I'm not sure if I would and I'm not sure if I wouldn't, but also emphasizing that it really depends on the quote, circumstances, end quote. This again was pretty recent, um, post Kyle Allen trade, post draft, post everything, post saying very explicitly that Dwayne is his guy. I paid attention to this um, short set of comments because those two guys, Rivera and Newton, will always be very closely linked. Um, Cam Newton was the Panthers' first draft pick after Rivera was hired. Their tenures overlapped perfectly. Their personal successes and failures with the Panthers tracked with a very high degree of correlation. And basically, I don't think there's ever going to be a time when Cam Newton is still an active NFL player where it should be totally dismissed that Rivera could conceivably make an effort to become affiliated with him again. So, regarding these comments, I think number one, Rivera, because he does respect and appreciate Cam so much, really just didn't want to say no outright because uh, it could potentially be a little blow to Cam Newton's stock. So I'm sure that's part of the reason why Rivera did not just dismiss out of hand the possibility that the Redskins might still somehow, some way, someday try to acquire him this year. But I also think that he was harping on circumstances as the reason that Cam is still unsigned, is that there probably does exist a set of circumstances in which Rivera would do it. It might take a bad injury to one of the two guys here now. It might take a failure on Haskins' part to pick up the playbook in time to start a season in September if that's what happens. And uh, you know, it's possible that that failure wouldn't really even be entirely or largely his fault if it so happens that the team barely has any time to meet in person before real games get played. I'm not certain that Cam Newton isn't some kind of backup or fallback plan for Rivera right now in the case that one of these two guys is not able-bodied or that the one who's new to the system is not able to run the system when the games start counting. So would I put money on Cam Newton becoming a Redskin in 2020? No, I wouldn't. But do I think the chance is zero? Nope, I don't. I think it'll depend on how much interest Newton gets from other teams and then basically on how everything goes with Haskins and Allen. And uh, in all of that, uh, it's probably a long, long shot, but there probably exists a set of conditions under which Rivera would actually do it. I touched a little bit on this after the Redskins drafted Antonio Gibson, but I think the Redskins running back situation remains one of the most interesting on the roster. You've got Peterson, Geis, and Bryce Love coming back, and you've added Barber, McKissick, and then Gibson by the draft. That's six guys. At least two of them are gone, possibly three, before week one. Maybe one or two get hurt, maybe one or two get traded. More likely two or three just get cut. And, of course, Bryce Love uh, likely will be a candidate to open the season on PUP, so it's possible they could just stash him there. In fact, that's kind of what I'm anticipating. Now, Peterson and Geis are the biggest names, but if you ask me which two are the safest, like, least likely to get cut or dealt before week one, I'd say Gibson and McKissick, which is really interesting when you think about it or when I think about my own take in that regard uh because Gibson is a totally unproven rookie and McKissick is a third down back now i would say it's highly unlikely that both Peterson and Geis would exit the roster before that time and that does not bode well for Peyton Barber however Peterson of course is getting pretty old and at some point is going to decline and Geis although he has shown absolutely brilliant flashes in the pros has shown of course no ability to stay healthy furthermore we know Or should have known, noticed by now, that Scott Turner in his last few years as quarterbacks coach, but also kind of like co offensive coordinator or junior offensive coordinator for the Panthers, certainly seems to have an affinity for running backs who can catch the football and be dangerous as receivers. That quality, in fact, would certainly be at the top of the reasons why they drafted Gibson and signed McKissick. I guess what I'm driving at here is that many, many fans are assuming that it is a lead pipe lock that Peterson and Geis are on this team in 2020, and I don't feel that way. There's probably going to be room for both, but I'm not positive there's going to be a need for both. So I guess I would just encourage you to be open to that. All right, the schedule. The schedule is now a really huge thing every year. There are mock schedules. The NFL did a three-hour schedule release extravaganza on uh, ESPN, I think. I personally do not tend to generally get super excited about the schedule, being, of course, that um, we we know who all the opponents are going to be before the schedule is released. But yes, I do think that, you know, I guess once it's out, you can look at it on paper or on your screen and maybe it helps you visualize how and when things are going to unfold a little bit better. And it's natural to look at a fresh new schedule and chalk up each game as a win or loss. Now armed with fuller context about which games are preceding or following and when the buy is, etc. If this podcast were recorded 10 years ago, when I just started Burgundy Blog, I probably would have done exactly that and gone through game by game and then tried to translate that into a season overall record prediction. But I'm not going to do that, because in my old age, I've realized that at least half the games that look easy right now will actually turn out to be hard ones, and at least half that look impossible right now will end up being easier than we thought. That's partly because Some teams just won't be as good as we think or will be better, and it's largely because of injuries, which we can't really predict. Of course, I'm referring to both the Redskins' injuries and their opponents' injuries. Prior to this schedule being released, I thought that the Redskins were probably going to have a pretty bad season. I've said that several times on this pod. I don't think I've previously given a record prediction, but I've certainly talked on here and tweeted about them as potentially being in the running for the number one overall or at least a top five pick. I still do now feel that that's the case. But I'll say this in their seven games, before the buy, I definitely don't see an easy win, and I'm not sure I see a single likely win. Now, does that mean they're going to lose all the games? Obviously not. Does that mean I think that they're going to lose all the games? No, I don't. I don't think they're going to be 0-7 at the buy. but I did tweet, I think, to JP Finley, and yeah, I do still feel that, guys, it's going to be rough. I mean, I think, I think 0-7 at the buy is in play. I don't think it's likely. I think it's, you know, way down on the list of possibilities, but I'm pretty sure if you look right now that that they're an underdog at this very moment in all seven of those games. Those lines will move between now and when the games are played. But I think it's going to be a rough start to the year. And I think the start is the most predictable part of most seasons. And also, you know, in some ways it matters most because it kind of dictates how the season's going to go. You start bad, you tend to keep going bad. You know, coaching changes happen mid-season because the season's in the tank. Quarterbacks get pulled mid-season because, you know, the team's looking so much worse than expected. I do think those first seven games are going to dictate whether this thereafter turns into really just, de- you know, as we're expecting, a developmental year or even a tanking year versus, okay, hey, maybe we got something here. Let's try and get lucky and squeak into the playoffs. I think they're going to be looking, uh, you know, not mathematically eliminated, obviously, but pretty close to extinction as they roll into that week eight bye. And, and you know, therefore, I think after that, it's kind of going to be all bets are off. Obviously, Rivera has impeccable security for now and, and foreseeable future but i think they're going to continue to try and play a lot of young guys and new guys and rookies into the back half of the year because i think the record's going to start bad there are some winnable games in the middle they do have i think i read that they are one of only four teams in the nfl who have a stretch of three away games in a row without a buy um breaking them up so that part will be brutal i hate to be debbie downer guys And I do not want this to come off as a negative impression of the Ron Rivera hire or of what he's done so far, because I'm pretty encouraged by all of that. But I think that the fact that the team is still relatively young, the staff and the scheme are new, the quarterback is definitely not yet entering his prime. They really added hardly any difference-making veterans in free agency outside of Kendall Fuller. They didn't have a second-round pick. And the Cowboys and Eagles are probably both going to be pretty good. I'm struggling to find six wins on that schedule, guys. I think the consensus over-under in Vegas is still four and a half. I feel like a lot of fans and a lot of local media are viewing four and a half as free money, like way off, like missing the point. But uh, that's, that's not what I feel. I, I, think, I think that's pretty fair. Last year, I thought they'd win five and they won three. This year, I think I'm seeing five again. So I'll go on the record here um, way too early, and I reserve the right to uh, update this when the season is starting, and we see how it unfolds until then. But for right now, I'm going with 5-11 and 11 in 2020. I think the ceiling's like 8. I think the floor is really ugly, 1 or 2, and in the conversation for Trevor Lawrence. <music> There's certainly been a lot of Redskins-related Urban Meyer content lately, has there not? Let's go all the way back to last year. We actually took in a game from the owner's box at FedEx. At that time, of course, his former former players on the Redskins included Haskins and McLaurin, two big-time big-time parts of the current iteration of the team. There was certainly a lot of speculation at that time that he might be a potential target for the Redskins as either a coach or an executive. Obviously, that did not come to pass, at least not yet. Then the Redskins fired Bruce Allen. Then they drafted another one of Urban Meyer's former stars at Ohio State in Chase Young. And then recently, Meyer has done a bunch of interviews focused on the Redskins, both for local media types and national ones, or at least talked extensively about the Redskins on some of those, including Move the Sticks with Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah. And furthermore, he was an official part, in fact, a big part, of the Redskins' team sanctioned virtual draft party. So look, the Redskins slash Urban Meyer thing is, is a thing here. It, it just obviously is. And in a bunch of these interviews, he's been over-the-top complimentary of Dan Snyder and Snyder's approach to running a team, even though he's been a complete disaster of an owner for two and a half decades. Okay, right, sorry, really just two decades. He's been over-the-top complimentary of McLaurin. He's been increasingly complimentary of Haskins. He's used some pretty bold superlatives on Chase Young. And lately, in his interviews with J.P. Finley and um, Kevin Sheehan and then um, Brooks and Jeremiah, he has not been afraid to heavily criticize the team's culture, at least as he viewed and perceived it in 2019. In fact, on Move the Sticks, he really crushed it. He ripped it. He ripped the culture from last year, which he was obviously getting from his players on the team. And so, here are, here are my like, takeaways or the, the, the things I'm thinking about Urban, Urban Meyer right now as it pertains to the Redskins. I do think he's going to work in the NFL in, in, sometime in the next couple of years. I do think the Redskins are probably at the top of the list of teams for which he is most likely to work. I don't think it would be as a coach, even if Rivera does just fabulously burn out or flame out You know, in, in, in just two years. I do think it's most likely to be as a high-ranking executive, in fact, probably a team president. And I do think that there's probably a scenario in which he could become the team president while Rivera remains the head coach and Kyle Smith remains the de facto GM or becomes the official GM. I think they're all kind of in a period of feeling themselves out right now. No, I don't think this is a slam dunk by any means. And maybe I'm just completely way the heck off. But I'm feeling that both sides, Team Meyer and Team Redskins, are really embracing this relationship right now. And it kind of seems like they're setting up the public for a possible introductory press conference down the line. Oh, and I totally overlooked the Alex Smith-Urban Meyer connection, which is very strong. And who knows how long Alex Smith is going to be around. I just said a few minutes ago, I hope it's for a while. What if Dan has or gets the idea that Alex and Urban look pretty good together up there in the, in the owner's box? Anyway, here's, here's the other thing. You know, maybe I'm way off on that. I don't know. But here's the other thing I gleaned. From Meyer's very critical comments of the Redskins culture in, in 2019, which included the sentence, There's something wrong there. Again, he was referring to the pre Rivera Redskins. I think in this period where Meyer was supposedly consulting for Dan Snyder about, you know, what direction to take the franchise in, and before any of us knew that it would eventually be Rivera in this coach centric approach, I think that Dan. Asked Urban, for whom he has apparently a great deal of respect and has for years, for some opinions on how they could make things better. And then Urban, in his conversations with, in particular, Dwayne and Terry, and in also just being around the team a little bit and, of course, watching them like we all did, but especially by getting the real dirt from Haskins and McLaurin, I think Urban figured out that the whole thing was rotten. And I think Urban helped Dan understand that Bruce needed to go. So, yeah, I'm saying I think Urban Meyer was probably a part of Snyder's long overdue decision to can Bruce Allen, to hashtag fire Bruce Allen. I think Urban Meyer, because he is not and was not at that time employed by the team, and because of his close relationship with Haskins and McLaurin, two very high profile players on this team last year and and in the next few years to come, I think he was able to learn more for Dan about what goes on in that locker room and on that practice field than anyone else employed by the team was, was both able to learn and willing to say. I think Meyer probably got some honest, unvarnished truth from the players in a way that, say, Doug Williams or Gruden or Callahan or even Kyle Smith probably couldn't have gotten. Because you know what? You don't generally tell your own actual bosses that they're doing a bad job. But you might tell your old college coach, who you love and respect, and then Meyer, because he's not beholden to Dan, had no trouble telling the truth about what he'd learned. Anyway, I'm just trying to connect some dots here, like always, and you can take whatever you want from it or or not. But I've had a close eye on this relationship between Dan Snyder and Urban Meyer for a few months, and uh, I'm going to keep my eye right on it for the foreseeable future. Quinton Dunbar, recently traded by the Redskins to the Seahawks for a fifth-round pick, turned himself into police today in Florida, where he was wanted for armed robbery. This week, since that news uh, came out about the charges, I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry, yes, I did put out a few tweets making light of his alleged stupidity and pointing out that, yes, uh, the trade at the time was viewed by most people as a win for the Seahawks, but now with the benefit of recent hindsight is being viewed by most as a win for the Redskins. My thoughts on this situation include the following. If he actually did what the police are saying they were told he did, which is to help DeAndre Baker of the Giants, stick up some partygoers brandishing actual guns, steal their watches and other valuables in broad daylight at a barbecue with no masks, and then immediately get into pre-positioned getaway cars. If he and they did this, then Quentin Dunbar must be the kind of stupid that many people in that building had long since previously detected. I don't think you could go from being a person of near-normal intelligence To being a person who commits this crime suddenly and totally unexpectedly, barring some kind of mental break from reality. If he did it, if he's convicted, he may never play in the NFL again, much less in 2020. Even if he didn't do it, it sure seems like he was mixed up in the kind of behavior that you would not be encouraging for a core player on your pro football team. No, I obviously don't think that Rivera saw this coming or could possibly have known that Dunbar would get himself into this degree of trouble so quickly after being traded. But I am going to give him credit for obviously figuring out in their short time of overlap that Dunbar wasn't worth the headache. And boy, it sure seems like he was right. In other gun-related football news, new redskin Cody Latimer, a backup receiver slash special teamer and likely very borderline roster guy, was also arrested today for assault and firing a gun in an apartment. I don't know if it was his home or what, somewhere in Colorado. Here's what I think about Cody Latimer. He's been in the NFL for about six years. He was a relatively high draft pick, I think a second rounder by the Broncos, but he has not been a good player. He was mildly productive for the Giants last year as a complimentary player, but his resume is not impressive. He's been a redskin for like a month, and not engaged in any meaningful Redskins activity. And his one-year contract includes total guarantees of less than $150,000. If this incident isn't literally a mistake, I mean, if he isn't just mixed up in this by accident, and someone else actually perpetrated the crime, if he was in any way related to the situation for which he was arrested, whether he actually goes to jail, whether he's got some kind of excuse or defense, whether he was provoked or whatever, regardless, no matter what, The Redskins are not invested in him at all. They don't owe him anything. He's already embarrassed the team. He doesn't stand to offer much above anything that they could get from guys currently still on the street. And so if it's not literally a case of mistaken identity, I think that he should be cut tomorrow. Because if you're going to tout your obsession with culture at every possible corner and then tolerate this kind of nonsense from a brand new guy with no track record, and only the most tenuous of ties to your organization in the first place. You totally undermine yourself, and you look like a hypocritical joke. So I'm looking for Cody Latimer to be officially separated from this team in the next couple of days or even hours. And if that doesn't happen, I will be heavily scrutinizing the decision. I think if you keep a guy like this on, there's no logical justification, and you are putting yourself on the hook for the next time, which may come any day, week, or month and in which the bullet is going to actually hit someone or himself. Very last thing, uh, a little nugget with probably pretty low utility or applicability, but which you may find interesting. I've learned that one of the Redskins' recent draft picks, who is not Chase Young, but who is actually one of the relatively more high profile, I think, among the others, tested positive for the novel coronavirus and then recovered completely and was cleared prior to being drafted by the Redskins. I do know which one it was, but I'm not going to divulge his name, at least not at this time, because, uh, you know, it's a medical thing and a privacy thing, and I just don't think it really matters right now because he's better, and I can't see how it would in any way affect his participation. So I'm probably not going to be the one to name him, but if and when it comes out in the future, Think back to this episode and tell a friend about Burgundy Blogcast.